intellectual. But you know that boy has got to be hurting. It makes me want to cry how much he needs his mother right now. How he keeps insisting she'll come back for him when we know she won't. We don't know that. We've never even met the woman. Monty just writes us from Cairo one day to tell us he has a brand new son. The boy heard the floor creak above him and was startled to see his cousin Lily staring down at him over the banister. Oh, said Aunt Amy, you're up. His aunt and uncle had come out of the study and were standing at the bottom of the stairs. Are you feeling all right, dear? Yes, Auntie. It's so late. Maybe you should go back to bed? He paused on the stairs for a moment, wondering what it would be like to live with these people, what he might learn from them. It would make the summer interesting, until his mother came for him. Aunt Amy, I've decided to come stay with you. His aunt's face lit up in a smile. The kids will be so glad. He glanced toward the top of the stairs, but Lily had slipped away. I'll have to keep my eye on her, he thought, because already she's keeping her eye on me. You're part of our family now, said Amy. She had no idea what they were about to bring home with them. Twelve Years Later Dr. Mora Isles paused outside the doors of Our Lady of Divine Light, uncertain whether she should enter, because she did not truly belong among the believers inside that church. But the music called to her, as did the solace of familiar rituals. Out here on the dark street she stood alone, alone, on Christmas Eve. She walked up the steps into the building, the pews were filled with families and sleepy children who'd been roused from their beds for midnight mass. Mora slipped into the first empty seat she could find, near the back. Almost immediately, she had to rise to her feet again as Father Daniel Brophy approached the altar. Mora was focused only on him. On the dark hair, the graceful gestures, the rich baritone voice. Tonight, she could watch him without shame, without embarrassment. Daniel began to read. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. He stopped, his gaze suddenly pausing on Mora. He cleared his throat and continued reading. His gaze did not again meet hers. As others filed forward to receive communion, Mora remained in her seat. She remained through the concluding rites, through the blessing and the dismissal. She was just stepping into the aisle when she glimpsed Daniel trying to catch her attention. She sat back down as the church emptied. Hello, Mora. Daniel slid onto the bench beside her. I'm surprised to see you here. It's Christmas Eve. But you don't believe. I wanted to hear some music, be around other people. So why has it been so long? He asked. Well, one of our pathologists had to go into hospital for back surgery, and we've had to cover for him. It's been busy, that's all. You know about Father Roy's stroke last month. I've stepped in as police chaplain. Detective Rizzoli told me. I was at that Dorchester crime scene a few weeks ago. I saw you there. You should have said hello. You were busy. He smiled. You can look so fierce, Mora. 
Did you know that? She gave a laugh. <laughs> Maybe that's my problem. I scare men away. You haven't scared me. How could I? She thought. Your heart isn't available for breaking. She rose to her feet. It's late. Good night, Daniel. I've missed our talks, Mora. She hesitated. I've missed them, too. Maybe that's why we shouldn't have them anymore. We haven't done anything to be ashamed of. Not yet. Mora, there's no reason we can't... He stopped. Her cell phone was ringing. She fished it out of her purse. Dr. Isles. Merry Christmas, said Detective Jane Rizzoli. I'm surprised you're not at home. I tried calling there first. I came to Midnight Mass. What have you got for me? Address is uh, 210 Prescott Street, East Boston. Frost and I got here a half hour ago. We're looking at one Vic, a young woman. Homicide? Yeah. Mora disconnected and found Daniel still watching her. You have to go to work? I'm covering tonight. She buttoned up her coat collar and walked out of the building into the night. The blue lights of three cruisers pulsed through a filigree of falling snow. Mora stepped out of the car and the sound of violent retching made her glance toward the street where a blonde woman threw up in the snowbank. A patrolman muttered, That one's gonna make a fine homicide detective. I haven't seen her before, said Mora. She just transferred from narcotics and vice. He shook his head. She's not gonna last long. The woman detective moved unsteadily toward the porch steps where she sank down. Hey, detective, called out the patrolman. You might want to move away from the crime scene. The blonde detective jerked back to her feet. I'll go sit in my car. Yeah, you do that, ma'am. Doc. Detective Barry Frost had just emerged from the house and was standing on the porch. I gather it's pretty bad in there, she said. Not the kind of thing you want to see on Christmas. Thought I'd get some air. She walked up the steps into the house. She could see into the living room, which was furnished with cheap mismatches. She walked into the dining room, where she saw place settings had been laid out on the table. Dinner for four. One of the plates had a linen napkin draped over it, the fabric spattered with blood. Lifting it up by the corner, she took one look at what lay underneath it. Instantly, she dropped the napkin. I see you found the left hand, a voice said. Morris spun around. <laughs> you scared me. You want to see some seriously scary shit, said Detective Jane Rizzoli. Just follow me. She turned and led Mora up a hallway. Who called in the report? It was a 911 call. Came in just after midnight. From where? This residence. Mora frowned. The victim? No voice on the line. Someone just dialed emergency and left the phone off the hook. First cruiser got here ten minutes after the call. Patrolman found the door unlocked, came into the bedroom, and freaked out. Jane paused at a doorway. Here's where it gets hairy. Jane moved aside to let Mora gaze into the bedroom. She did not see the victim. All she saw was the blood. Extravagant splatters flung across white walls, across furniture and linen. Arterial, said Rizzoli. Mora could only nod. Then her gaze halted. 
riveted on something she had almost missed among all the splatters. On one wall, drawn in blood, were three upside-down crosses, and beneath that a series of cryptic symbols. What does that mean? We have no idea. Only as Mora rounded the bed did the woman come into view. She was lying unclothed and on her back. Exsanguination had drained the skin to the color of alabaster, and Mora remembered her visit to the British Museum where fragmented Roman statues were on display. The wear of centuries had chipped at the marble, cracking off heads, breaking off arms, until they were little more than anonymous torsos. That's what she saw now, staring down at the body. A broken Venus. With no head. It looks like he killed her on the bed, said Jane. Then he pulled her onto the floor, maybe because he needed a firm surface to finish cutting. You said the first cruiser took ten minutes to respond to that 911 call, said Mora. That's right. What was done here would have taken longer than ten minutes. We realize that. I don't think it was the victim who made that call. The creak of a footstep made them both turn, and they saw Barry Frost standing in the doorway. Crime scene units here. Tell them to come on in. Jane paused. How's Cassavitz? She finished puking? Frost shook his head. She's still sitting in her car. I'll go get CSU. Moore's gaze returned to the torso on the floor. Have you found... the rest of her? Yeah. You've already seen the left hand. The right arm's in the bathtub. And now I guess it's time to show you the kitchen. Jane started across the room. Turning to follow her, Mora caught a sudden glimpse of herself in the bedroom mirror. But it was not the image of her own face.